Hello and welcome to How About Them Huskers. My name is Will Noda Francesco, and I'm joined, as always, by my grandpa, Husker Dan, from the beautiful city of Omaha. Uh, grandpa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited because we have a special guest who is in an elite league of former Husker players, those who have won a national championship at Nebraska and those who also uh, uh, you know, have earned a, a Super Bowl ring. And uh, so we have yeah. Russ Holkstein here with us today, and we're going to get to him in a few minutes. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just jacked up. I think uh, this is our first Super Bowl winner. That's, That's right. true. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, no, that, that is, I didn't even think about that, but awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had some upfront news here and, and you want to talk about July has been a great month for Nebraska in terms of football commits. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we talked about Dylan Rogers and Omarion Miller last week. Uh, those Dylan's from Cypress, Texas. And then, uh, Omarion is from Vivian, Louisiana. Uh, we've had two more recruits that I don't believe we've talked about. Maybe we talked about Barry Jackson. I forget. Uh, but anyway, Barry Jackson, uh, committed on the 2nd of July, uh, of this month. So 13 days from when we're recording this recording this on the 15th. Uh, but he's wide receiver from Ellenwood, Georgia. And then Ashley Williams, uh, is our newest recruit. He committed on the 10th. So five days ago. Uh, he's an edge rusher from Zachary, Louisiana, um, and that brings up Nebraska's commits uh, to this of this class, the 20, class of 2023. Uh, these are just commits. It's not like for sure, but we will probably keep at least 95% of them. I can't see. There's not a lot of switching going on, especially with the wide receivers and linebackers and edge rushers uh, positions. Um, but that brings us up to 14 and last year, Nebraska only had five. So a plus nine commits and these guys are all good too. Um, Barry Jackson's five eleven. Ashley Williams, uh, six, four for an edge rusher. He's already two fifteen. He just looks like a, he looks like a beast already. Three stars, three star recruit for Ashley and three star recruit for Barry Jackson as well. Um, but yeah, do you have anything you want to say about those guys, grandpa? Well, you, you got to look at, I mean, you look at where these guys came from, uh, Miller from Miller and, and Williams from uh, Louisiana. Gee, who did we, who's our assistant coach who is, uh, you know, that's me. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> and, yeah. And Brian Applewhite. Uh, he has in Texas. A, in yeah. Texas, Dylan Rogers, linebacker, uh, 6'2", 232. That's not shabby. I, no. I realize that I don't, I don't ever want to get too giddy about, recruits because it's like you know, they're it's unproven like stock market you have no idea what what they're going to <laughs> exactly stay but you know you, you i don't know you can't have enough great edge rushers and and if ashley williams turns out to be that guy i would think maybe he's going to have to bulk up a little bit more six four two fifteen maybe not probably maybe, maybe uh I, I would think he's going to probably put on 10 15 pounds but that's just me. yeah but yeah no i agree yeah, but, you know, last year with the COVID uh, restrictions and uh, class was much smaller for, for uh, 22 as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. If you're looking for some good news about Husker football, you, you got some things to kind of strut around a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But uh, if you're looking for some optimism from Phil Steele, you're not going to get it. 
because <laughs> uh, Nebraska, he ranked Nebraska 51st in the pre in his preseason polls, uh, behind Appalachian State, Army, Air Force, Toledo, Northern Illinois, UTEP, and Western Kentucky. Uh, so this is how far Nebraska has fallen. They were being ranked behind MAC teams. Um, I, I mean, Nebraska can change this script. This is not. This is just his preseason predictions. Right. He is very accurate with this stuff. I will give him that. He does yeah. his research a lot. I mean, if you just look at one of the pages for his teams, it's filled with probably as many uh, words as Athlon puts in their entire magazine. Um, but I mean, Nebraska ranked behind Appalachian State, that in Air Force, who I don't think of, and Toledo too. That is uh, not great because Toledo was only like six and seven last year, something like that, I believe. Uh, in in the MAC, so that is just a that's a low blow to Nebraska right there. But well, at least I mean, Steel has us going to a bowl game, so you got to be at least. That's true. Six. That's true. What what bowl game does he have us going to? I haven't got the. I don't. Yet. I don't think he's. You don't remember the northeast southwest corner weed eater. <laughs> the mower bowl, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we, you said a key thing. This this is this is just a prediction and. The, the players have the ability to change all that. Say, no, we, we don't buy into this stuff. Um, Steele is, he's the, that's the Bible, college football preview, yeah. in my view. There's so much, he does abbreviations and you got to got to work at getting through and, and you better not have bad eyesight because the print is pretty small. But he, <laughs> so much into that magazine, uh, uh, it, it takes a while to digest all that. But uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely bring some more little facts and tidbits from uh, Phil Steele's predictions for the Huskers for this year and kind of what he's looking at. Um, we'll put that in our upfront news in these upcoming weeks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just – I mean, as I said and as Greg was pointing out, it's a preseason prediction. doesn't mean anything. Um, I hope that they're using this as motivation. The players are, at least, that they're using this as motivation to uh, light a fire because Nebraska really hasn't had any – motivation really i mean there's been some but it's not been like the same uh competitive spirit uh that we're used to seeing from nebraska as much they're not scrapping for games really as much uh they they kind of did last year but it's they wouldn't lose every single game by single digits if you really wanted it uh they had chances to win most of their games this year and just mess it up so uh, i mean 51st seems like a good a good spot. I don't agree with some of the teams that Phil Steele put ahead of the of Nebraska, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not doing my research on Toledo and Air Force and UTEP and Northern Illinois. So well, they're not I, they're not football powerhouses, and they never exactly. So no, they never have been. That is correct. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have anything else uh, in our upfront well, news segment. But uh, but one thing, this is we're doing this on July 15th. So with 12 days, fall camp starts. Yeah, and then we'll 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 oh, get into that for sure. Yeah, oh. and then uh, I can't wait. It's gonna be so it's gonna be so exciting. We got like a month and a half until the season starts. Uh, but again, a month and a half until the season starts also means a month and a half until I have to go back to school. So that kind of way in the, <laughs> you gotta weigh that. But uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited. This is gonna be a lot of fun to go through this season uh, with with you guys. Um, so. Yeah, and uh, now we're going to – we, we pre-recorded this interview with Russ uh, Hochstein. Uh, so, um, so we Hochstein. hope you guys – Hochstein. Sorry, I messed it up. Oh, the first. my goodness. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, he even told me, as, you're, as you'll hear. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll listen to that interview right now. 
All right. And welcome to our interview uh, with Russ Holkstein. Uh, sorry, Hochstein. Is that is that how you pronounce it? Is that correct? Hochstein. There we go. Um, so big thanks to him for coming on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I'll kick it over to you, Grandpa. Well, it's it's awesome that we have somebody. You know, I was thinking about having a, a column, and I don't know this. I don't know that I'd have to do some research, but how many Huskers have, uh, former Huskers have national championship rings from Nebraska and also Super Bowl rings? And I don't, I don't have that answer, but I, it's going to, maybe Russ knows, but uh, anyhow, we welcome today, we have a great guest and, and we've had some really good ones. So Russ is going to have to be on his toes here, you know, <laughs> at that high level. So, uh, but uh who we have here is, is Russ Holkstein. And, uh, and I actually wrote down, I hear that name gets mispronounced. It's Hoksh, uh, whatever. It's like, no, it's Holkstein. Just right. It's very simple. But you were one of those guys who won a national championship at, in, at Nebraska in 97. And then you went on to, uh, with New England Patriots, uh, Super Bowl, what, 38 and 39? That's correct. Uh, so, there's an awful, and you played for the Denver Broncos and Arizona Cardinals and finished your career, I think, Chiefs. Uh, and so don't forget Tampa in there, who drafted me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. The uh, then Tony Dungy team, yep. I was going through the roster for uh, the Tampa Bay, and it's like the nightmare of Florida and Miami. Warren Sapp you played with, and a bunch of guys, of course, we hated being Husker fan. So uh, anyhow, yeah. welcome to uh, welcome to our podcast. It's an honor to have you. And uh, we're, what do you, you, you come back here in the summertime and that's how we got together because we had the Husker fan salute the troops golf course or golf scramble rather. And so do, do people think you're crazy like to come back to the state of Nebraska in the summertime? Uh, yes, they are. The people, especially in Massachusetts, uh, I think us homegrown guys, the Nebraska people, um, we get um, the fun and how fun the lakes can be in the summertime here. But when you live out in Massachusetts, they think I'm out of my ever living mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, Cape Cod, Cape Cod and that whole area with uh, Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, that's all within an hour of, of my house. And they're like, why do you fly all the way back to Nebraska, spend time there? when you have all this stuff out there and I'm like, it is a different environment. Um, you know, Nebraska is near and dear to my heart. I'm homegrown. Um, I still have my family and my side of the family is all from here yet. And, uh, I absolutely love it because it kind of keeps me tied and in touch with everybody here. And, um, you know, we, I know we often joke and, and I know Dan, you've asked me this question in the past, uh, you live out in Massachusetts and I, I lost that, uh, that argument with my wife once football was over where I was going to live. And, uh, so that's why most of the year I live in Massachusetts and I'm raising three beautiful children out there and, uh, and I'm working and, uh, coaching and, um, and my wife is doing the same. So, uh, we enjoy both places very, very, well, very, very much. Um, but yeah, people think I'm nuts. They absolutely go like, why are you going back there when you have kids? I'm like, oh, it's a different environment. Here I get to walk out my door and I'm on the sand and in the water. So it's much easier. Do you get back up to Hardington uh, much or? Yeah, I well, especially in the summer, I usually, you know, for one of the major holidays, uh, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas, we try and come back and we kind of rotate just like all my brothers, you know, my brothers and sisters do the same thing. We kind of all stay on the same schedule. So our families can be in touch for either Thanksgiving or Christmas. And then uh, like I was already up in Hardington Tuesday 
Um, and then I'm going back up tomorrow, actually, uh, for the Cedar County Fair. There's a concert up there I'm going to go to and uh, see, see, see a bunch of my family and friends up there. And so, yeah, we get back uh, three, four times a year. And uh, I love it. I, I own some farm ground in Cedar County and Pierce County. So uh, uh, it keeps me tied to the area pretty well. Um, the, oh, my wife, she said, this is Mrs. Husker Dan. This is uh, Will's grand, grandmother. If I, if I didn't ask you this question, I wouldn't be able to, you know, be no living. Um, the Heartland Vets, you know, Ben and Aaron, it's a, it's a hit TV show on, on the cable channel and it's, they're from Hardington, Nebraska. Do you know those people? I know them. Yes. Uh, have I talked to any of them and, and, and <laughs> since I can remember, no, but yes, I've, uh, I heard it's a very successful show and a lot of people love to watch it. And, uh, I've seen a couple episodes from here, uh, from time to time. And, uh, yes, they are, they're, they're Hardington as well. And, and uh, we love it, man. We're on we're on podcasts with you guys. We we get guys in the National Football League. We got people and veterinarians on TV, national TV. It's awesome. Yeah. That speaking of being being from Hardington, um, how do you think that that changed like your recruiting going into Nebraska? We've talked to a few players, like we talked to Jordan Westerkamp. We talked to Byron Bennett last week. Uh, about coming out of state and going to Nebraska. Did you just always know that you wanted to play football at Nebraska once you started like getting offers from places? You just hoped that you would get one from Nebraska or did Nebraska have to convince you to go there? Nope. You just said it. Um, they didn't have to convince me to ever come here. Uh, you know, I'm born and born and raised here. There was no other place I ever wanted to play. Um, you know, I, I did, I did do some football camps in high school at some other colleges just to kind of see what's out there, but never in my mind, uh, did I ever want to go somewhere else. Um, I was, this is the absolute, the only place I ever wanted to play. Um, you know, the, the history and, and, um, all the great games over the years of growing up, we get to watch and, and, uh, going down to Lincoln on, on Saturdays was special. And uh, so, no, there's absolutely no other place I wanted to play. So it was easy for me. Um, and I love how you guys ask those other guys. It's great to hear from guys that are outside the state that come in, um, you know, and, and as a player, you know, my towns would, you know, Hardington 1,600 people. I graduated with 30 in my class. Um, we're not big. There's a ton of these stories out there of guys that grew up kind of like I did. Um, everyone's got their own story, but, it, but the small town rule Nebraska is what really – I've always looked at as a foundation for Nebraska football. Um, it may not be the small town kids that are always there starting on Saturday, but they're the kids and the guys who are in the background who help build the walk-on programs, push those other guys that come in and play. And, um, you know, and it brings that fan support and ties us all together and kind of brings that family atmosphere to, to Husker football. So I think it's hugely important. Um, and I know you guys will probably ask me some questions about, Husker football as we go today, but I, I can say this, and I know I've talked to Scott Frost over the years briefly, you know, and he understands the importance of, of uh, you know, being able to recruit in state as well as your own walk-on program and, and build that depth within your system. That brings us to another great question, and that has to do <clears throat> right now with Transfer Portal. Uh, that did not exist uh, when you played. Uh, that and, of course, the NIL thing, What those are – we're almost in the wild, wild west of college athletics. And uh, what, what do you think, what do you think, first of all, those two uh, rulings and how do you think it's going to affect the game of college football? 
Um, I hate both. Um, quite honestly, <laughs> I, uh, I, it's, it's also hard. Um, you know, I, I played and, and was recruited into a different era of football. Um, so I have, I'm trying to get my mind around, you know, basically what they've created is free agency in college football a little bit. And, um, I, right now, my early opinion is I don't think it's great for football. Um, if anything, I think we're kind of taking a step back in a way that, you are now going to have, you know, you're looking at the conference realignments that are going on and, and who's jumping in with who and who's not. And uh, I think you're condensing the conferences to these four super conferences, what, uh, I think, which could really happen. And, um, you know, the transfer portal, portal has allowed um, players to be able to move from place to place. I get the, the, the original thought process behind it is, Hey, all these college football coaches get paid a lot of money. They go, they jump ship. They recruit me in here. They jump ship. Why can't I leave? I understand that. But now it's kind of morphed into, Hey, I'm not being, I'm not playing because I got to sit behind this guy. Why don't I go to another place and play? And aren't we kind of uh, talking backwards a little bit because you, you are coming into college and saying, I want to sign a letter of intent to play for this university but only if it meets my needs. Um, and I know the world we're in and, uh, you know, we've kind of created a mini, a mini free agency and NFL setup that, uh, gets me a little nervous. Cause I don't know how you can build depth into your system. If every other year you got to worry about a kid leaving, um, a big piece of your puzzle. And, um, you know, how do you build, instead of having just a top recruit in each position, how do you put the second, third and fourth behind them? If those kids are mad, they're not playing and they all leave. So I, I think the depth in your programs get hit hard. Um, I, I think it's an advantage to the universities that have a lot of money. Um, they can go out and will be able to recruit better because the NIL deals will allow them to give other kids money and keep them sitting there. But what, do you, what have you done in the meantime? You've kind of went past the mid-level colleges that um, are struggling so dearly to get back up in that national recognition for good football. And, you know, you're always going to have your Cinderella team. Um, but I think that really, uh, in a way, kind of took us a step back and we kind of create, you know, top 20 teams like we did in the 80s, where those 20 teams every year is vie for the national title and everybody else. Good luck. Maybe you'll get a Cinderella in there, but that's about it. Now, there's some other good things that can come out of this is we could finally get a good playoff system set up in college football um, because your super conferences own the control, but it really kind of hurts those mid-level or lower level teams or this university just plain out don't have as much money as, as the top 20 do. So uh, it's a lot of crazy things. I think we're going to all have to kind of watch and see how this evolves. Um, I think we'd be all, be, we'd be very naive to think that there probably won't be some rule changes as we go, because I, you know, people are going to try and take advantage of us as soon as they can and uh, eventually somebody's going to have to step up and say, nope, enough's enough. Here's what we have to do here, here, here to regulate. I mean, even the NFL, free agency has its rules. And um, I, I think, you know, and I know they have some rules now and, and what goes into that, but uh, it's crazy what's going on. It is wild, wild west right now. What do you, what do you see in terms of the Big Ten? I'm going to add, people have said, well, Notre Dame is going to come on board. You think they'll get to a 20 uh, team league or and if if so who do you think would fit into that culture best um i would say this i i won't even i would just say that the usc ucla uh adding in is a huge play for the big Ten. 
as you know, now you've covered what? Coast to coast. Um, you got money going from the West Coast, East Coast, East Coast to the West Coast. Um, so I think it's, it was very uh, uh, interesting when they did that. And I thought it was kind of a great move by them. Um, what does that say about the Pac-12? Um, what does it say about the Big 12 now that you have Oklahoma and Texas leaving there? Um, also, again, kind of going back to your other question, um, what is the NCAA's role in all this? And what, is the, what are the big conferences going to do with these guys? Um, meaning, are, is the SEC going to write their own rules? Is the Big Ten going to write their own rules? Because you get this conglomerate of schools in there. Um, you have a lot of control. And uh, going back to the transfer portal and the NILs, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw these conferences crack down a little bit on their own and say, listen, we can't afford to do this the next 20 years because the money's always going to increase year to year. We have to put caps on things. So uh, I think it's very interesting. I don't know who else you would add to the Big Ten. Um, there's plenty of schools that are going to buy to get into the big conferences. Um, you know, you have Cincinnati, you have Houston going into Big 12. Uh, you know, and then you have the sports alignments. I always look at like what schools fit into what conference because of their sport dominance, you know, dominance in each sport. Um, you know, the ACC goes through this every year with basketball versus football and things like that. So, um, I wouldn't even guess who could be added into the Big Ten yet or even the SEC, um, as we go forward. But, um, I, I don't expect anything to happen this year, probably now going through the season, I would say if any, there's any announcements that'll probably come next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think we, we talked about Grep and I had talked about this before, but like, just you have to tie in like geography as well too. That's why I thought Notre Dame might be something that they want to add because it's in that area um, in Indiana and South Bend um, that you have Indiana around there, Purdue's around there. Like you got those schools around there, but then again, it seems like it's just going to turn into who's going to pay the most to get into these conferences. And then whoever has the most money is going to end up breaking away from the NCAA. And I think it might be the sec, but uh, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but so as a uh, Husker player, you played in the 97 uh, national champ. You played on the 97 national championship team, I should say. Yep. Uh, do you have any stories from, from that season? What, what were your favorite moments from that season besides winning the national championship? Obviously I assume that would be one of your favorite moments, but yeah. Oh, we, I got tons of stories, but, uh, some, some will never be spoken of. Uh, <laughs> I just love to, to kind of re I just look back in 97 and just think of how good that team really was. Uh, you know, more than any individual story of any individual player, just from top to bottom, the competitiveness, um, that team had, you know, whether it was our offensive line versus our defensive line, our tight ends versus our rush ends um, linebacking core. Um, and obviously the man in the middle was, was Scott running the offense. I mean, we were a juggernaut and, uh, you know, I know a lot of people compare, you know, the 94, 95 teams and things like that. Um, all three were, were amazing teams. There's no doubt. Uh, um, but like 90 and I wasn't there. 90, I mean, obviously as a fan, I watched 94, 95, but 97, uh, being a part of it, I just, it, it's hard to believe how, you'd go to practice and it was a dogfight. Um, and, and that was something that, you know, we talked to, when I talked to, we're old timers now, my friends who all played and guys I played against and guys that played in the league with. And, and that team was just so competitive day in and day out. We go to practice and it was a street fight. 
Um, you know, the, the one offense versus one defense never wanted to lose to each other. And that competitiveness made us so good. And um, it actually, when you walked into games, you weren't intimidated by anybody um, because you knew you, you probably faced the best all week long and you got to Saturday and now let's go showcase it. And uh, but I just the intensity that was at practice, the, the uh, attention to detail and the things that we did and that 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 team was pretty special. And I just it sticks out in my brain all the time because we're going to I know we're going to talk about the NFL a little bit with Bill Belichick and, and the Patriots. And that's something I had there. And, um, you know, 97 was was kind of my first real link, glimpse into that serious how, how just week in and week out how competitive we were. And I guess going in the NFL, that's what made the Patriots so good because we were competing in the week the week to week practices just as much as we were in games. And um, that really sticks out in my head. And it was special. It was an amazing run we had that year. And obviously we had Missouri um, in there that we had to have a little help and everybody needs a little help along the way. The ball's got to bounce your way a couple of times. So uh, that's the uh, miracle in, Mer in Missouri. Yeah. yeah. What and, do you uh, recall of that game, Russ? No, I didn't get to travel to that game. Oh. So I was at home. I actually watched it with my dad and a couple other guys um, because I was young enough. I didn't get to travel to that game and suit up. Um, so I watched it home on TV and I just remember almost throwing the TV out the window. <laughs> couldn't, believe, couldn't believe as good as we were that we were in that situation but like i said it takes a little luck and a little ball the bounce the ball to bounce your way a little bit here and there and and things worked out for us and they were good enough to overcome and come back and win that game so that's what was awesome but yeah i can remember being pretty mad and thinking man i'm at my mom dad's and i want to throw this tv out the window but i'd have to buy him a new tv so i don't want to do that <laughs> what was your first start russ I believe now I'm a little fuzzy on my, it's been for quite a few years, but I'm, I, I believe my first official start was 98 against Texas A&M. If I remember right. Um, we'd have to look back. I don't know that for sure, but I, I think it's somewhere around that time was my first official start. I had played a bunch earlier in that year, kind of fill up role swinging from guard to guard, things like that. And then I kind of got plugged in the system right then. And, and then I didn't really look back after that. And, and, um, that's a fun place to play as well. College station. That's a great place, great environment and uh, a lot of great tradition down there. Will? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for, as you, as you started to move towards the NFL, um, what was the draft process like for someone? Cause I like you see all the hype for, uh, at least now, maybe it was different when you, know, you were being drafted, but I would assume not, but you seeing now like all the hype is for, really fast defensive ends, linebackers that are making big hits, getting lots of sacks, quarterbacks that are playing out of their mind, wide receivers. There's not that much offensive line um, hype, really. What was it like for you getting in to the, to the draft and then uh, hearing your name called by the, by the Buccaneers? Uh, well, the whole process is, is uh, amazing. Uh, also exhausting, um, I guess. And I'll, I'll take you to where, where it starts. You know, obviously the letters come in, you go to a couple all-star games after your, your senior year's over and things like that. And so you you already get kind of plugged in through those all-star games of how many scouts are around, how many player personnel guys are around who watch practice and you're competing at a high level because you're playing against the best of all, the, all these other colleges. So it's pretty intense and it is tiring. And then afterwards, you know, you get pulled aside, they talk to you, they, they uh, want to know what you're up to. Uh, 
you know, your backstory, because the NFL does a pretty, they do, do, they do their due diligence really well on each player. Um, I know there's some things that slip through the cracks and things like that. We've all heard the horror stories. Um, but for the most part, they, they, you talk to almost every team. Then you go in, you come back, you train for a while, then you get invited to the pro combine if you're lucky enough to, and you go to the pro combine and it is exhausting. It was for me. Uh, you get in, you fly in early in the day. They, they put you through, you know, all the testing stuff, whether it be Cybex testing and your strength and training and all that. And then every night you're literally until 10 o'clock at night, you're in bouncing from team to team to team, meeting with head coaches, player personnel reps, scouts, and doing another round of interviews. And then you have tests. Back when I went through, you got tested on the wonder Lake, you got tested on player personality um, tests for the giants, which was a huge test back then. And, and all these things. And, and you're, you really, I think I slept seven hours, maybe most one night I was there. Um, wow. You're just exhausted because then you're up early in the morning. Then if you have any medical uh, uh, flags, meaning, Hey, you had a broken bone here, you've had a torn muscle here. They want to look all over that. So you end up sitting in um, CT scans and, and uh, um, x-rays and, and every team doesn't trust everybody. So they all send you to their doctors <laughs> to do it. So it's great. And, uh, but it's exhausting. And then you get home and then you're like, wow, now I just wait. And then all you can do is you, I tuned it out a lot. I, I got tired of listening you go on, you watch these guys with these pre-draft mock drafts and things. And, and you have agents who are recruiting you, telling you, you're going to go higher than you are. You're going to go lower than you are. And, and no one really knows the answer until draft day. And, um, I went in the fifth round. I was day back then. I was, was a day two or day three is how they did it. They didn't want to, I can't, it's been so long now how many days it was. I was actually home in Hardyton with my folks watching on TV. And then I got a phone call literally four minutes before my name came across the thing and uh, from Tony Dungy. So it was pretty neat. It is, it's, it's a pretty, once you actually get that phone call, you're like, Oh my God, I just got drafted in the national football. Like what, what the hell? This is, this is a dream. <laughs> and, uh, but it is, it's a, it's a process that goes fast, but it's very intense and it is tiring. And, uh, and then once you get drafted, then you're on the, the, you know, the, the teams bring you in and, and you start working out with the, those teams and then you got to move and, and all those things that go into play. And I got hurt a little bit early on. I broke my foot twice uh, my rookie year and uh, had a little surgery, but I got through it. And then 9-11 happened my rookie year. That happened that same year. Um, so it was a whirlwind those, that first four months. Um, and it was also crazy because just things were happening so fast. And then you settle in as a player and you figure things out and you get into your first off season and you figure out, you got to work out here. You got to do this, you got to do that. And uh, then you kind of settle in. And, and I was, you know, again, every player needs a little luck along the way because I could have been cut early, you know, with injuries and things like that, but somebody saw something in me to stay with me. And then I felt deep enough on the depth chart to be kind of cut, brought up, put back down things like that. And then I end up in new England where I really didn't look back after I went to new England and had some great coaching there as well. And, uh, obviously I, I got to be a part of those great special teams there. And, and, uh, you know, then I ended up going out to Denver, getting traded and playing out there for three years. And then I did a little stop off for a training camp with Arizona before Kansas city signed me. So in my 12th year. And, uh, but like I said, it was like the blink of an eye. And this year I think it'll be my 10th season out of football. So, uh, and that, I don't know where 10 years just flew by. So <laughs> it's, it's when, part did, of life. when did you, when did you discover and 
maybe having played on such good teams at Nebraska, because the 99 team at Nebraska probably was the last great Husker team that we had. Uh, It is the last team that won a conference title. Right. But we won six games in a row to end the season. Yes. Beat Texas. Yes. That was. Yep. Um, Beat Tennessee. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But when did you, when you got into the NFL, when did you find out, Hey, I can play this game. I can play with, with these players. Uh, well, I think you, you, I, I, I think, you know, you can play with them. I mean, when you're invited to the all-star game, when you get invited to the combine, I mean, it's clear, clear indicator that, Hey, you belong or you belong, you deserve a chance or you, you've worked hard enough to get a chance to get into the NFL. Um, I completely, I know where your question and, and I'm doing a long, long winded version of this, but then your first time you get brought into a mini camp and back then mini camps were a lot different than they are now. We actually could wear shoulder pads and helmets back then. And you were doing like a, an inside run, not really an inside run, but kind of an inside run drill. And I remember things were happening, you know, the speed of the game in the NFL level was so fast. And I remember walking off my first practice going, Oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to make a team. I don't know if I can keep stay in this level, you know, but like anything, you just keep working, grinding and, and doing those little things um, and, and put your, put your nose in the playbook and figure things out. And then the game slows down a little bit. And I think it's, you know, probably, you know, by the end of training camp, my rookie year, I realized, well, I can play with these guys. I can hang in there. I can help. And uh, hopefully I just, I've done enough to get an opportunity to stay on this team. And uh, so, like I said, you get a little lucky. And then I I was, I had, uh, I had broke my right hand during training camp. So I was playing with a cast. So there's all these things um, that go into play, but you know, you just, I just kept staying, hanging around, just hanging around and uh, hopefully good things happen. And and I just kept working on it, working on it, working on it. And it kind of just happens and we're all competitive. You wouldn't be there if you're not a competitive person and confident person in yourself. And, and, uh, you know, and, and no one likes failure, no athlete likes failure. So you just keep grinding away. And, uh, it just kind of happens the way, you know, that slow progression and go. And, uh, that's how it happened for me anyway, but. You got traded to a Super Bowl team because they had won, I think two years before you got there, two seasons before you got to New England. Uh, that had to be, did you feel like you were getting a lifesaver throw? I mean, that's a great opportunity to go play for a team that's fresh off a, a Super Bowl. Absolutely. I, I to be able, and I remember the online coach, Dante Scarnecchia, who is, by the way, we could do a whole podcast just on him. He's probably one of the greatest assistant coaches in the NFL. Um, the amount of Super Bowl rings he has as well. He, uh, he brought me in and I just remember him looking at me because um, I was cut and I was in Tampa. So they had kind of moved me up and off the active list and, and, and non-active list. And then they cut me, brought me back. And so then when, when they finally come in last time, my agent's like, listen, we're going to find you a home and we're going to see what, what we can do. And Dante had reached out or they had reached out to my agent and said, we really like this guy at the draft a year ago. Uh, it'd be a little over a year ago. Uh, we'd like to bring him in and work him out. So I went into a workout and it was the workout from hell. Uh, Dante put us through, um, he was always a very intense guy and, uh, uh, I love him like almost like a, another dad. He was just a great coach and brought me along a long way, taught me so much about the game. And, uh, but I remember going through my tryout and he goes, listen, I liked you in the draft. Bill liked you, you know, our player personnel guys liked you. 
Um, we didn't have the opportunity to draft it, but you, you worked really hard in your tryout. We liked you. And I ended up being activated that very same week. They were in their bye week and I did try out. And two days later, I was literally ended up in New England. And then I was there for almost seven seasons and never looked back. And um, when I got activated, I'm like, wow, they really think highly of me. I don't know the playbook from a hole in the wall right now. And, uh, but they needed a body at that time. So I sat on the sideline with my pads on, was ready to go and, and could help on field goal and some other things. And that's what I did. And then again, it kind of just took time and progression. And I worked through some things and figured out some things and played a bunch. And, and um, it, uh, and then we just, you know, we missed the playoffs that year. And then the next year we were loaded for bear. And uh, as you guys know that, you know, it's already in the, you know, the 03, 04 seasons were amazing. And um, we put on a run on those and, and I just fell into a great atmosphere, a very tight knit line room family environment. And Dante was a big reason for that. And the guys I played with Matt lights, the Joe Andrews, and then later on, I played with Logan Mankins and uh, Dan Copens and all those guys. And, and uh, it, we were a family and uh, band of brothers, as they always say, and, yeah. in the line room. And uh, we just got along really well. And, and again, there comes the intensity of what I talked about in 97 is we just competed, you know, week to week, we do one-on-ones and guys hated losing. And it was a, it was a dog fight and guys uh, just competed at a high level and it. And it really, the week was sometimes harder than playing in a game, you know, and we knew what we were preparing for and we just went out and executed it. Can you, yeah. as we're running out of time here, can you uh, give us a Bill Belichick story and maybe a Tom Brady story? Well, Bill's story is this, you guys, it's, it, Bill has a better personality than you think that he portrays on TV often. Um, that's number one. Number two, uh, my, my old story with Bill is this. I had never set foot, didn't even know what his office looked like my entire time there until the day he traded me. And I remember walking wow. in going, it took me almost seven seasons to be in your office. And he kind of looks at me and goes, well, that's a good thing, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in my office, that's a good thing. I mean, you're just doing what you're supposed to do and everybody's happy. But uh, that's my Billichek story. And then a Tom story is, is uh, what? Tom's story is this. Tom has a huge personality that you don't always see on TV. The amount of pranks um, that were pulled between the O-line and the quarterback room would be <laughs> off. In fact, I, and I won't mention names, but there was a time when somebody had a very expensive BMW that had a sunroof that could be opened. And then <laughs> a group of young men, group of fine young men, found a company that could uh, give us like 10,000 styrofoam beads and make sure they got dumped into a BMW. <laughs> and then um, but no, one, no, one, no one has a name attached to that. But the other side, the quarterback room found a way to get even with a lot of those guys taking tires off their cars. And yeah, <laughs> a lot of good pranks were played over the years. Tom was at the middle of a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think we'd be remiss to, to uh, let you go here without asking you about uh, the feeling that you get when you win a Super Bowl. Uh, what's what's that like? I assume it's a dream. Oh, it's still, you know, other than it, to be honest with you, other than, you know, the your marriage and the birth of your children, uh, winning a Super Bowl and a national title are right up there with it. Um, <laughs> I mean, the amount of work it takes and the team effort it took um, to be a part, just to, to have an opportunity to play for one is special enough. And then once you get there, it is, and you win and you're standing on the field and the confetti's confetti's falling and 
everyone's passing the trophy around, you get a hold of it. Uh, it, it just, it ends it. It just, it's just amazing that you can even be uh, a part of that. And, and I can tell you this <clears throat> as a young man, I wish every kid had that opportunity because it, you would view sports. It, it changes your view of sports and how, um, you know, we, what we see on TV a lot of times is the greed and the, and the money and uh, the dirty side of the business and, and what it means to a player to be at the top, at the very top. And no one ever can take that away from you. It's just something so special because it, you realize at the end of the day, hey, if I got paid 40 million versus 4 million, whatever the difference, winning is better for everybody. And it helps you and it, uh, it, it validates what all that hard work you guys put in for it. We all put in for it. Awesome. Well, well Russ, think, thank you so much. I think our listeners are winning too today. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> And they're just like, who's the old jock on there? That's so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it being yeah, a part. Our of pleasure. Of- it's an honor and a privilege to to visit with you, Russ. Thanks so much. And uh, well, well, I think we should have him back uh, maybe after the football season. And uh, you know, so yeah, we, yeah, we, absolutely. We'll see where this. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We love to hear. Uh, again, you're one of the few uh, great players at Nebraska to win both the Super Bowl and the national championship. And, and I'm going to do my homework on it and find out how many other Husker players is, I mean, there's only five national championships in the career and yeah. the history. Of the I believe I, I, I can think of one right off the top of my head. Grant Winstrom did it as well. Yeah. 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 Yep. Nice. Grant did it as well. And, and um, uh, there's a, yeah, maybe a couple more guys along the way that have done that as well. You also could also look into the 70s, 1771, how many guys have been out there. But yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's a huge crowd of guys, but uh, we're lucky. And like I said, it just we're blessed um, to be a part of all those. Okay, well, we hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Russ. Uh, and uh, big thanks to him coming on the podcast. That was uh, great having a former Super Bowl uh champion on on the podcast and uh, a former nebraska national champion as well with that 97 team uh and and it we'd love to have him back on at some point at the end of the season um so that would be that would be a ton of fun but um yeah that's all we have for this week i think i'm gonna try to get tommy armstrong on next week i'm gonna text him see if we can figure that out Uh, i know clayton anderson showed some interest he's a astronaut from nebraska so maybe we can do that as like a bonus episode for you guys um, that maybe not come out regularly scheduled because he's not too much into Nebraska football. I mean, he's from Nebraska, um, but uh, yeah, the uh, uh, one, once again, thank you to you guys for listening every single week. Um, and I mean, I, 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 I almost forgot to mention, I got a new mic set up this week. Grandpa was, didn't know what was going on when we first got into a zoom meeting. <laughs> he was like, what's that from your face? But anyway, so I hope it sounds a little bit better. Uh, not that it was sounding bad, but it is over Zoom, so uh, we'll give that. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, that episode with Byron Bennett last week, uh, 130 downloads again in like four or five days. So that's just absolutely amazing. Uh, we thank you guys so much for that. That means uh, the world to us that you guys are willing to listen to us talk about Nebraska football for 30 to 45 minutes every single week. Um, but yeah, we're going to keep bringing you some awesome guests until the season starts, and then – we're going to end of the season. It's going to be go time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we, we got some things planned that um, I, I think some different segments and stuff we can do during the season. I still have to talk with grandpa about some of the stuff, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we hope you guys stick around. And as we always say, 
Uh, this podcast is your guys is not ours. So uh, if you're not listening, we don't have a show. So again, thank you. Tell your friends. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> tell your friends, uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, tell people they have won a national championship and a Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, that is, that's all we have for today. Unless you have anything else, grandpa. Nope. Just go big red. Awesome. We will talk to you next week. Hopefully with Tommy Armstrong. Go big red.